Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. Let's get it going with another patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, listen, I heard about the farmer that came out onto his field and uh, all the cows were tipped over. Uh, but the bull, um, you know, the male cow, was standing there. And the farmer says, uh, well, how come you're not uh, tipped over? And the bull says, uh, we bulls wobble. All down. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> all right. That was a good one. If you scratch your head wondering why, there's a toy called Weeble Wobbles, but you never explain the joke. It's never as funny that way, but uh, just trust me, it's a good one. Uh, just like Duff with Guns N' Roses, always a good show, always a good one. Uh, go check them out on tour and check out Fozzie on tour. It's great to be back on the road again. I've had some amazing shows on this tour already sold out in Harrisburg uh, last night. And of course, this afternoon, we are playing at the Blue Ridge Rock Fest. We're on early. Uh, if you are coming to see us, we're on, I think, at 1 o'clock or something like that. Baltimore. Uh, on Saturday night at the Soundstage, Pittsburgh and Jurgles on uh, Sunday is sold out. Buffalo at the Ironworks is going to be sold out. Uh, if there's any tickets left, go to FazerRock.com. Angola, Indiana at the Electric Room on September 16th. The 17th is Grand Rapids, Michigan at Elevation. Then Flint and Cleveland also sold out. Go to FazerRock.com and see all the gigs. We're on tour until Orlando on October 9th with Through Fire, Royal Bliss, Black Satellite, Zero Theorem, uh, don't forget VIPs. Lots of great stuff going on. These shows have been selling so well. A lot of them have been selling out or getting close to selling out. So please don't miss out. And Europe, our tour of the UK and Ireland, is going to sell out as well before we even get on the plane. So get your tickets for that. Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, Glasgow, Dublin, Belfast, Birmingham, London. That starts November 29th in Liverpool. All ticket information at fazerock.com. And after a couple of delays and reschedules, Get ready for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, Part 3, the Triple Whammy, sailing finally on October 21st. We are back, baby. We're going to have a great time. Kurt Angle is the guest of honor. Will Ospreay, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Rock and Roll Express, Bully Ray, Dean Malenko, a who's who out of AEW, including Orange Cassidy, Dr. Britt Baker, uh, Lance Archer, Jake Roberts, The Gun Club, Cole Cabana, Will Hobbs, Chris Daniels, Frankie Kazarian. We just uh, uh, announced uh, Evil Uno and, and, and uh, Stu Grace of the Dark Order. Sean Spears, Jamie Hader, go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com, not just for wrestling, rock and roll as well, Kick-Axe, Striper, Fozzie, Quarantine, Rubik's Cube, Secret Stains, Paradise Kitty, Dave Spivak Project, we got Comedy, Brad Williams, we got uh, Ryan Niemiller, Medusa's a special cruise director, it is the best party ever, and those of you who have been on the first two know that for sure, so come join us, Chris Jericho Cruise. Com. All right, today on the show, a man who needs no introduction. I worked with him in WWE, and now he's all elite and killing it on commentary on AEW Rampage, my broadcast partner. Having a blast doing that show together. And that's not all Mark Henry is doing at AEW or will be doing. He's coaching and mentoring behind the scenes as well. You hear about the uh, AEW talent that he's excited about helping. Of course, we're talking about how an appearance on Oprah brought him to wrestling in the first place. He also talks about his time in WWE, why he left his relationship with Vince, the rib that Vince pulled on Mark that led to the Hall of Pain character. Uh, all the information about Mark Henry, the strongest man in the world and one of the coolest right here, right now. He is all elite on Talk is Jericho. So I just walked into uh, the dress room here and Mark Henry was waiting for me. And I said, the last time Mark Henry was waiting for me in my room, the lights were out. And you started laughing. You said you forgot about it. Tell that story as far as you can remember. And I'll plug in the blanks. 
So we're we're in Chicago, Boston, Boston. Yeah, remember that Holiday Inn we all used to yeah, stay in at the Holiday Inn, and there was a certain uh, somebody that got caught with their window open uh, with a handful of Jergens, <laughs> and <laughs> he so, was shall we say pleasuring himself, yeah, with the drapes open, making love to himself with <laughs> yeah. the curtains open. So I went and got a bunch of people, and while that happened. Uh, I'm knocking on doors, like, just go to my room, just go look in the room, just look in the room. So Chris runs out of the room, he goes in there, and then... Um, like a bunch of little kids, too, are all standing by the window going, ah, <laughs> we can see you. <laughs> so when that happened, I said, I'm, I'm going to go in Chris's room and turn all the lights out, and I stood behind the door. <laughs> so after all of the commotion is over with, Chris comes back in his room, and... He shuts the door and op- turns the light on to the bathroom, and I went, Rrr! and he, he jumped out of his skin. Get out of my room! And I just, it's, it's still one of my like my favorite moments of my career is being able to get Chris. Well, in, in my in my mind, that like and listen, there's no secret here. You are a very dark black man. I'm I'm one of the blackest. One of the blackest, and the lights were off. So when you went the, with the, all I saw because the light of the bathroom was like white teeth and white eyes. And I thought, I swear to God, the first thing I thought, and this is the stupidest thing, but this is literally what I thought. Is there a bear in my room? <laughs> like, it's absolutely impossible, but I can hear the voice of this creature oh, and it's man. higher than a dog. <laughs> Is there a circus in town? Like, what the hell is oh, this? Oh, yeah, the, the, the bears got loose, and it's in my room. Oh, my God. But, but that's what we did to entertain ourselves on the road. It was just right. like constant ribs and having fun, and uh, some some was less fun than others, mm-hmm. but that was one of the good ones. Well, that was 99. So you had been in WWE for about three years. You yeah. started in 96, right? Yeah, and I, I just came back from Canada. Because I was living up at with the Hearts. Right. And getting trained by Leo Burke, who you probably know mm-hmm. pretty well. And, um, you know, working out at Bret Hart's house. So, like, man, I met Andrew Martin there. I met Tess. Tess yeah. And uh, Glenn Coco, who was a famous uh, Calgary Stampede football player. football player. Yeah. You know, so it was, it, was, it was like a lot of experiences that I had never had. And... Coming off of living somewhere internationally, you know, I just had a more understanding of just exposure, just being exposed to stuff. And Leo was, you know, I, I was still rotten. So, you know, I hit Test in the nose and busted his nose and Leo grabbed me in the headlock. That's not how you do it. And this is the way you do it. And he just cocked back and hit me right in the nose as hard as he could, blood in my nose. And he was like, don't like it so much when it's you, huh? And I was like, that was the, I had never had hard training before like that. And uh, then I went from him to Rip Rogers. So it was like, you go from one extreme to another extreme. And I, it was the best thing ever happened to me. So this was this, and it's just a little segue. I saw you, I, we first met in about 96 at this gym that everyone used to train at in Calgary. Yeah. And we crossed paths one time and we were talking a little bit because I think I had just started in WCW, but either way, I'd been in Japan and been working around. And you were telling me, and you probably remember this, you're like, all I want to do 
is learn how to do an arm a drag. Ricky a Ricky Steamboat, Steamboat arm drag. And I'm looking at this, you know, six foot three or whatever you are, and you're probably about 400 pounds at the time. I'm thinking, I don't know if that's in the cards for you, brother. <laughs> yeah, I think you need to think a little bit differently. And um, I, I didn't take offense to it or nothing, but I was like, man, like I'd seen you work before. Mm. So it was like I wanted you to show me some of the stuff <laughs> yeah. that you did. You know, I, I I thought that everybody did arm drags. That's just how it is. Yeah. Right? You know. so, so when you got into WWE, they brought you in, obviously, right out of Olympics and powerlifting. As a fan. What's that? As a I was fan. a fan. Okay. So then they sent you to these places to train you. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. And there was no developmental system. Right. And, you know, they made a lot of mistakes. But I feel good that the fact that I was the first developmental wrestler. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. people were still working territories. Gotcha. And I worked in Memphis. I worked in well, for Briscoe in, in uh, Florida. And, man, I had matches here and... Tampa and so you were working kind of those last the last, last dying territories. Territory. So, yeah. so when you say that you got in as a fan, how did that transpire? Well, there was a guy named Milo Steinborn who was a strong man, but he also dabbled and did some wrestling. You know, not he wasn't a big star or nothing, and he was friends with Terry Todd, who was my like my adopted father. Gotcha, and. um the foremost expert on physical culture in the world. And Terry would be like, what are you doing watching wrestling? You, you're watching wrestling again? Like that was, I used to get the tapes. Yeah. You know, you get the VHS tapes in, in, in New York and, and California and Louisiana. It was completely different styles of wrestling. And I remember going on Oprah and this and is from weightlifting, from being the strongest, from being the strongest man strongest in the world, man in the world right. right? Yeah. And on the Olympian, you know, the U.S. champion, Oprah asked me, like, so what does the strongest man in the world do in their, like, spare time? Do you bend, steal things and pick up houses and all of this stuff? And I was like, yeah, I do that stuff. But, you know, the things that's the most important thing to me is I got to watch my wrestling. So every Saturday and Monday, I watch wrestling. And she was like, oh, my God, that's interesting. And this is what, you know, she segued really quick because there was, get out of this, get out of this. (laughs) And um, the WWF at that time heard heard about that. And um, Milo asked Terry if I would be interested in, you know, wrestling one day. And Terry called Vince and Vince was like, listen, we we hear all this buzz from this guy. We, We love the get him up here and see if, if this would be something he's interested in. And that's that's how it happened. Vince called me. I thought it was one of my friends playing a joke on me. I hung up on him. And, and he called Terry, and Terry called me and said, hey, you hang up on Vince McMahon? I said, that was really him? And he was like, I called him back, and he said, it's not, it's not the first time that I've been hung up on. I was on. just thinking, how many times do people think that? Didn't that think it was real. Yeah. It's happened to him a lot. So... Um, Which is a quick story. It's funny because my friend Zach Wilde, who played guitar for Ozzy for years, when he was 19 working at a gas station, Sharon Osbourne called there looking for Zach. He did the same thing. Off, you're not Sharon Osbourne. Hung up. Again, leave me alone. Then Ozzy calls. And he's like, what's going on? Oh, this is really Ozzy. So people in that position probably get hung up on quite a bit. No way. <laughs> yeah, There's no right. way that I'm talking to Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah. I see this dude every Saturday and Monday. Yeah. 
on TV. Like, why, why the hell is he calling me? <laughs> you know, so um, he, he invited me into Connecticut, man. I, I, I went up there, and during that time, I had just left the Cowboys training camp. Mm. So I was going to go back and play football after the Olympics. Gotcha. And because I just didn't know, I didn't want to live on 70 grand a year for the rest of my life. And then eventually my strongman chops were going to disappear and I was going to have nothing. And, and, that, I, and that's I, what they give you for, for a year of like sponsorships for being the strongest. I had, I had about $70,000 in endorsements. And um, I mean, you win $4,000, $5,000. Here, there, you know, breaking records and, you know, being in certain little competitions. And, um, but basically, there's not like, you know, there's not big money. Yeah. You know, I wasn't Michael Johnson who had a million dollar endorsement with Gatorade and a million dollar endorsement with Nike. Like, I wasn't making money like that. I didn't live in, you know, big, I was living in an apartment. It's interesting because Michael Johnson was was a was a sprinter, sprinter for the U.S. So sprinters and swimmers always seem to get the the, the big the, endorsements. Big, but the but the strong men, it's the almost like down earth. oh you're strong, but this guy is fast or whatever, right? Yeah, no yeah. money. And you know, of course, now you see guys like Martins Lisi's doing commercials and you know uh, Half Thor Bjornsson being in uh, uh, Game of Game Thrones, of Thrones and, right. and you know Eddie Hall and and. Or fighting and making, you know, having a boxing match and making five hundred grand. I was like, man, that that didn't exist when I was the guy. And I'm not one of those bitter old curmudgeons. I'm I'm like, man, good for them. Yeah, you know, I'm happy for them. I help like I feel like I put a few bricks in that building. You did right, so guys can make that kind of money. But not only that, too, you went on from that sport and became big in something and something something else. So that helps too. And, and, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that. I really didn't realize it until and look at it till probably about four years ago. I was getting at the point where I was like, look, I'm retiring. I don't want to wrestle no more. I'm, I'm hurting all the time. Has there ever been another person that won multiple world championships in different things? And there was a couple of people that won world championships in boxing, like Danny Hodge. He won. The, he was the national champion, AAU national champion in boxing, and oh, the wow. AAU national champion in wrestling in the same calendar year. Hmm. Nobody's done it since. So he was special, right? And I sat down and thought about it with me, and I I won a world championship in powerlifting. I won a world championship in strongman. And I won a world championship in pro wrestling. Mm. And I'm the only human on the planet that has done that, that has won a world championship in something in three different mm. um, events and, or sports. And I was national champion in Olympic weightlifting in another sport. So, like, kind of the common denominator is I'm crazy. <laughs> and I'm obsessively paranoid about failing. I, I prepare to to succeed m- more than because not because I, I want the the accolades and everything. That's cool that people pat you on the back. Say, oh man, good job! But I just hate failure. Like I cry when I lose. I'm, I'm it's horrible, Chris. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's really and I'm I'm people that know me know I'm pretty sensitive. Like I I, I get yep. the boo boo face in a minute. Yeah. 
And, We've been through it. And I will shut down and I won't learn. I'll just be angry. And I'm ignorant when, I, when I'm mad. Like when I'm mad, I can't talk. I lose my ability to communicate. I become <laughs> just a damn Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that side of me. And that's why it was hard for me to be the angry Hall of Pain Mark Henry because I always wanted to be, you know, Ricky Steamboat. I wanted to be the good guy. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I got tired of playing the negative stereotype, but it ended up being the thing that I'm the most known for. So it's so interesting too, Mark, because you, you mentioned and, and, and obviously we're here in AW and there's lots to talk about, but you had such a long storied career in WWE and you'll understand what I'm saying. This is with the utmost of confidence. You didn't really get it until later on in your... 2008. 2008, and you started in 96? 96. So, I mean, there you go, dude. That's 12 years in. And I'll say this from from my standpoint. I didn't become the Chris Jericho that's here until 2008 as well, which was 18 years into my career. That's when it really, really clicked. But think about it, Chris. You look at the wrestling that you watched when you was 12. The dudes that I watched were 44 Yeah, 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 yeah. Nick Bockwinkle and yes. up north, Ray Stevens. Those were the guys that were leading the Man, charge. Man, I watched right? Devon Erickson and I, and, I, and uh, Killer Kowalski in New York, and you know, like in Texas wrestling, we had Mid South. Yeah, you know, so you watch Mid South, and on the I lived on the border of Texas and Louisiana, so I got Mid South to my left, and then I got Paul Bosch and Houston on my right. I could go an hour in either direction and see the best wrestling on earth mm-hmm. at that time when I thought that was those were the best companies. Mm-hmm. And WWF, like, I only saw, like, you know, the Hulk Hogan's and Iron Sheik's and stuff, like, on Saturday mornings on the cartoon and then on Monday because they didn't have Saturday wrestling. Mm, gotcha. And not in where I, in regionally where I was from. So... Uh, I didn't get to see that very often. You know, it was mm-hmm. Miss Out that 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 grown, but all of those guys were like forty five, fifty years old. You're right. But and you, Jose Lothario, he was shit. When I was a kid, he was forty. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but even you're talking about WWF, they kept bringing Bruno back because no one could replace him when he was in his forties as well. Yeah, they, saying leave me alone, like Bruno, please come back. We'll give you you know ten percent of the house at the Garden. We can't do these shows without you. So wrestling was always. Based on that, on on later development, because that's when you really get it. Yeah. And this is after being on the job for 10, 15 years. And I could follow directions. Yeah. Like you say, hey, man, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. And when this guy does this, you do that. I'll do what you told me, but it wasn't instinctive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It wasn't. When I wrestled you, I still wasn't wrestling Mm -hmm. under instinct where Mm -hmm. I just knew what the right thing to do was. Right. Like, you know, and hell, during that time, you was like. You 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 forgot the spot, and I was like, <laughs> I was so mad I couldn't even think. I couldn't even think straight. Like you know, it's, it's, I told you I lose my ability to communicate. And when I, that's I'm what I said. I can I can, I, can, I can remember that, and I think we were both. Jealous. And the match was good. It was good, but but it wasn't great. Something because went down. Yeah, and you got really sensitive, and I got really sensitive. You, you, when when you need me, I was supposed to throw you over the top to the floor. And I was supposed to come out after you, and I didn't. Mm. And this is my nerd superpower. <laughs> you I, have to, I have to remember what happened. 
and I'm standing in the ring, and you're like, come on. And I was like, no, you said, come on, stupid. And when <laughs> you said you. stupid, I was like, who the f*** are you talking to? <laughs> now, now, let me just explain. I'm also the heel in the match. Right. Yelling at the baby face. Come on, stupid. Come on, you stupid idiot. Yeah. I wasn't literally but, calling you stupid as a but person. Learn that. Right. The, like I was saying, the later you yeah. start to realize yeah. that stupid idiot is what you said. Yeah. Yeah. I don't just. <laughs> but so, so let's go to the point where you did get it. And, and there's, the, there's, the, there's the moment. And we don't have to go too far into it. But what was it that finally clicked to make you turn into Hall of Pain? Man, the, the number one thing was I was sitting talking to Pat Patterson one day. And Pat was like. Man, I really would like to see you be just more aggressive. We we love you, Mark. You're a big, lovable guy. But damn it, if you could, if you could just just kill people, mm-hmm. like it would make it. It would make it so good for you. And then probably about a week later, Vince played a joke on me. I went out to the ring, and they played my music, and I was supposed to be wrestling. Uh, is this for a Carl. dark match? It's dark. Right. This is after the show was done. After the show was over. You're it in the advertised dark hour. match. Gotcha. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And I'm standing out there, and his music is playing. They play it like three times. And now I'm angry at Sin Cara. I'm, I'm going to just beat his ass when he get out here. He didn't play his music three times. Where the hell is he? You know, it was that thing. And then they play Vader's music. It's Vader time. And I'm like, what the f- what? Wait a minute. And I look at Scott Armstrong. I said, what's going on? He's like, Mark, I don't have nothing to do with this. I don't know what's. I said, I get the microphone. And I realized, I didn't realize what I was doing until after I did it. I got the, I said, give me the microphone. I cut a promo. I don't know what's going on, but somebody better bring their ass out here to this ring. Because if I have to come back there and get somebody. It is not going to be pretty. Throw the microphone down. Then they play Ray Mysterio's music. Booyaka, booyaka, 619. I'm like, I get the microphone again. I said, look, this ain't funny. And Scott gets out of the ring because he sees now I can't talk. Like, it's my ability. I told you, I cannot talk. (laughs) Some... I don't know what's going on. Like, uh, now I throw the microphone down and I start power walking up the ramp. And I get up there and it's a ghost town. Like, everybody's gone. And I just just destroy the gorilla position. Just mad as f. And they said, Vince and them, they left. And I was like, what? And they left, and I, I just got, I just quit. I, I mean, I kicked the door in. Ryan Ward, bless his heart, was in there, only one in the in the writers' room. He was like, "Mark, I don't have nothing to do with it, man." They they left. They went, and I ran down the hallway to the carport, and I could see the limos, you know, pulling out of the area. And I called Vince, and you know, mother. Um, and told him I quit, don't call me, I'm done, yada, yada, yada. And the next week, Vince calls me, I'm not answering his calls. I don't know how they got my wife phone number, I guess from an emergency contact list or whatever, they called her. And she was like, will you, will you answer them and talk to them? Because they called me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, called and talked to, uh, it wasn't Vince I talked to. 
I can't remember who it was now. I was so angry about it. I just shut it all out. But he was like, look, man, just come to the show. You know, we're not expecting you to work or anything. We just want you to come and clear this up. If you're done, you're done. But, you know, leave on a good note. It might have been Jim Ross. I don't mm-hmm. know. So I go and Vince is crying. He's apologetic. He's serious. He's like, man, I didn't know this was going to hurt your feelings. I was just thought it was a rib and yada, yada, yada. And I, we've done like we just sat here. We've done thousands of ribs. Mm-hmm. But it was in the ring. Mm-hmm. I had never had nobody joke on me in the ring. In front of the people. In front of the fans. I felt stupid. Yeah. And he, he apologized, man. He, I mean, he was a man about it. And he was like, man, I love you, man. I ain't trying to hurt you. And, you know, it's like, man, I was just playing and stuff. And he's like, but can I show you something? And I was like, oh, shit. What now? And hey, Kevin, play, play the footage of Mark in the ring. And it looked like that video, that famous video that they show of Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, Madison it looks like, yeah. uh, like it's like a, I look like a monster. It, it, it didn't look nothing like me. It, it looked like, oh, my God, like. It's such I was embarrassed mm-hmm. for being that out of control. And he was like, if you can do that, we will we'll do really well. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's that's what wrestling needs. A real, real monster. And I was like, man, I can't be like that in the ring with one of the boys. I hurt somebody. He said, No, you won't. You know how to you know how to work. You could and he's like, just, man, you just got to think and be really thoughtful about it. And I'm not asking you to go out there and plan a bunch of stuff. Just go out there and be that. And don't kill nobody. <laughs> and, and that's what we did. Hmm. And we just made a, we just ended up, it was the most profitable uh, point in my career. Were you surprised at how far you were able to take that character? Because it was believable and it was, it was amazing. Man, I couldn't believe it. There's no way in a, in a million years I would have thought me being angry and mean and belligerent would supersede me being the good guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in the nation, when I, I went back and looked at stuff that I did in the nation, we were, so, you know, kind of militant and angry. It was entertaining, angry. 2009 to Hall of Pain Mark hearing was scary. Mm-hmm. Like, you thought somebody was going to die. Mm-hmm. And... During that time, I had talked to Rip Rogers and about um, nerve holes and and you know trying to do stuff that looked like it hurt. That stuff that really did actually hurt. It's just that I was going to have to really work it. So I started doing all that stuff during that time, and it just fit perfectly. Mm-hmm. So that 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 became the thing. I started trying to pull people's arms off and legs off and mm-hmm. you know it was it was like the best, biggest success i was working with the elite of the elite mm-hmm. you know and everybody wanted to work with me during that time because it was a night off because all i did was a, a vader and a and a, a body slam mm-hmm. everything else was me putting you in cranks and holes and stuff that looked like it re- and it did hurt if i would have applied a little pressure mm-hmm. but um, that's in a nutshell who I became. Just like you know, I, I'm wrestling Taker at main events in WrestleMania and shit like that. And I was like, I did this a long time ago. If I knew I was gonna get a check like this, <laughs> screw that good guy shit. Man, that good guy shit is for the birds. <laughs>
So what was the road that finally brought you here to AEW? Because we mentioned this being, you know, and also it was a Vince creation, Hall of Pain, because he's the one who kind of instilled Yeah, it was his. So that always helps as well. So what kind of started, and whether it was five years ago, whether it was five months ago, when did you start thinking maybe it's time to make a change? When I retired, I thought that I was going to be an employee of the WWE. Like that at some point, I was going to be, you know, somebody that had an influence on the business. And um, it's hot as hell in your room, Chris. <laughs> I can see you're sweating. I'm sweating and, uh, some paper towels for you. Chris is such a gentleman and a hospitable <laughs> human being. He, he went and got me a couple of paper towels so I can wipe the sweat. And because uh, I feel like I'm on Oprah's couch. <laughs> if you're a tree, what would you be? Asking the hard questions. <laughs> the hard ones. Um, but... I was like, I want to be an executive. Like, I know enough about this business in every facet of it. And there were people that were in jobs in talent development and people that were in jobs in talent relations and people in jobs in corporate that I knew the business better than them. And I had a way of, you know, fostering relationships. That's, that's been the number one thing that I've been able to accomplish in my life more than anything else uh, is I foster good relationships with people and people realize that I'm not a screw up, that I'm gonna do stuff that's gonna be well thought out and that is gonna benefit kids because that's where my heart is, is I want kids to have experiences and the WWE was just not, you know, they were not at a place where they wanted to hire me for that. Hmm. and. Um, I asked, I wrote it up. Um, I spent months on, you know, putting together a two year plan of events. I was like, what else can I do? Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I, I just had to call and say, Hey man, like I'm, I'm going to start looking for work because, you know, I, I know what I can do well and I don't feel like I'm valued in that capacity. And, um, when I, when I got the no, it didn't come from Vince or it didn't come from Brad Blum. It came from Johnny, who was an employee. Mm -hmm. It's not his place to tell me no. Like, if, if the duties got delegated to somebody that is not their job to tell me, then it's over. You just and you got to know when yep. the door has been closed. Yeah, It's like people, in, you know, I got a buddy of mine, man, bless his heart. You know, he going through a divorce and he had all the signs five years ago, but he just wouldn't, he just wouldn't leave. Mm -hmm. He just wouldn't, it wasn't him, it was her. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. It felt like a divorce, man. You know, it was painful. Like I, I love people over there. Like, man, just the thought of not seeing people like Chimmel and, you know, and, and Sean Selman in the production office. Like, it hurt me. Mm -hmm. Them people like family to me. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention, you know, people in the office and the talent. Like, they like our brothers. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, but if I can't work there, I got two kids. You know, they go to private school. Costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I got to stay my, I'm, I'm only 50. I can't get my retirement and tax shelter until I'm 53. <laughs> so I have to work until at, at least until I'm 53 before I can get my money. <laughs> Chris, I want my cheese. 
But I, I feel a lot of joy in talking to Darby Allen and talking to Hobbs and 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 mentoring them guys and Dante and like all these people that have come up to me. They came to me mm-hmm. and was like, man, just tell me what you see. And that's that's the beauty of this business. People are already over, but everybody wants to be more over. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do everything I can while I'm here to get those people to be you. Like, you're going to have some competition in the mm-hmm. next two to three years. You watch. Mm-hmm. I don't bullshit around. You know, you, you just hit something in the nail on the head that, that, that I went through, too, at a different level of, like you said, when you're not hearing no from the top and somebody's getting delegated, then you got to read the room and know that it's over. It's over. You know, that happened to me when, when Tony and AW started becoming a thing. And I, I'll give the due diligence and talk to WWE, but it was never – it was one guy that just kind of jobbed me out, but it wasn't Vince. And then Vince didn't get back to me. And I'm like, Vince has that yellow legal pad. You've seen it. That's yeah. where he writes stuff down. Everything. And if you – if he wants to talk to Mark Henry or Chris Jericho and it's 3.30 in the morning, he gonna call he's going to call you. And if you don't answer, he'll say call me when you get up and he'll be up at 6.30. And that's when I started realizing that they don't care if I'm here or not. You know, now they do. Hey, they care now. But at the time, it's like, oh, let them go to this new place. Because you're moving the needle. Because you're moving the needle. But they, I don't think they thought that at the time. Just like with you. Maybe Mark Henry, in their opinion, is not executive material. Just And you're, and you're like me. Okay, just watch me. You know what I mean? You guys need people like you. They said, no. We, AEW, need someone like you. And it's going to go through the roof, whatever it is that you're doing here and whatever you decide to do and whatever. So that's something that gives you have that deep inside of you instilled. Like you said, you don't like losing. You don't like, you know, and, and that to me, same with me, it was a loss when I wasn't getting the calls from the boss and getting calls from other people. And they were nonchalant, wishy-washy. And I was like, I know my time is done here. You know, it seems like you felt the same yeah, way. It was identical, 100%. Like I knew that it was over and people got to read the room and mm-hmm. that's that's something that I've been blessed to be able to do in my life is the segue from one thing to the other and powerlifting led me to Olympic weightlifting and Olympic weightlifting led me to wrestling and then I went to strongman and then I went back to wrestling and like you got to know when to to make the leaps and bounds to other things mm-hmm. to keep you alive mm-hmm. And my kids mostly keep me alive, like just wanting to work for them. But I can't be selfish and just give all that to my kids. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, kids need me because I really love kids. Mm-hmm. And if it's my passion to go and help kids, then I need to go help them. Otherwise, I'm slapping God in the face. Mm-hmm. And you can't live with that. Right. Like, so. You know, my Mark Henry Strong Kids program did real well. Like, I'm I'm helping kids to get exposure to things that they wouldn't have never gotten exposure to do. And in the guys, these I, I say kids here because this a lot of these people are 20 years mm-hmm. old, 25 years old. I was talking to Dante. He just graduated high school. Mm-hmm. He just turned 20, I think. I'm like, what? <laughs> this like, am I that old? Damn. So check this out. You love this. Uh, we had a match earlier the year before you came here. And it was me and MJF versus Dante and Darius's brother. Dante was 21, Darius, or Dante was 19, Darius was 20. Add them together, their ages. And I was still 10 years older than them. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's crazy. And, and 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 you you're doing your job because I always you know you you know what you're doing here. Mm. And like we talked about moving the needle, like in September we're going to New York to mm-hmm. Arthur Ashe Stadium. New York is in my stomping grounds. I have a place in Harlem. Mm. And I love the community activism and involvement that we're going to do in New York. It's going to make people pay attention yeah. to AEW yeah. because that might not be these already, are man. the people, the relationships that I talked about fostering big companies, Fortune mm-hmm. 500 companies. I know guys that are running things. I mean, they the movers and the shakers. And when I was with the WWE, I did stuff for them without getting paid to do it. I'm fostering these relations like, oh, yeah, man, we're coming here, man. You know what? You should bring your family and come and see and meet the guys. And then all of a sudden there's a relationship, a business relationship that got fostered. I never got a add a boy or thanks for bringing them in or nothing. Right. right. And that's all I wanted. Mm-hmm. That's all. I, I just wanted to be respected and honored for what you bring to the table. When you started talking to, to Tony Khan, what did did he want you to do here? What did you suggest your job description here would just, be? Just that. I mean, I told him that I, I, I would really like to do the educational programming and community involvement. And um, that... I wanted to to help with the psychology of wrestling, the history of wrestling to the talent. Being on Busted Open, like we talk wrestling six days a week, now seven days a week because we have a master's class on Sunday. Mm. I don't want the wrestlers, and I'm going to have to address everybody at some point. When you hear me be critical of you, don't think that I'm hating on you. I want you to be better so that when the war really does start, you got enough bullets in your gun to kill. And I want to win. And I'm going to do everything I can to give them the ammunition to make that happen. And I I could tell that Dante worked in a mask without asking him or talking to him. By just looking at his expression, Space, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I I know stuff about pro wrestling that's instinctive and intuitive. It's it's not studied. So when I say Dante, man, like, did you work in a in a mask or something? <laughs> like, you got to use your expression. He said, Yeah, I just I just started without a mask last year and a half. And I said, Bro, we need to talk. <laughs> well, let's go sit down and talk. And and that's that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Like. Finding each individual where their flaws are and helping them correct their flaws mm-hmm. and giving people more ammunition. Darby Allen, man, Darby looks like a drug addicted punk rocker, but he's straight, he's straight yes. edge. Yep. He don't drink, he don't smoke. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to go talk to other kids and show them that you can be a punk rock guy and have that as entertainment mm-hmm. and be a good human being. Right. And he wants to travel and speak and do stuff. I'm like, bro, I'm going to help that. I'm going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I am going to make it happen. And and that's why I'm here. It's not to stick it to the man, if you will, because that's not what my purpose is. My purpose is to be a success wherever the fuck I go. Right. And to make it and bring everybody along for the ride. 
And see, that's the brilliance of it, too. It's the same thing that show is doing. I mean, I, I do a lot of stuff here as well. I'm still in the ring, but even for you, there's so much stuff you can do. And then when the card is pulled and we need you to come for a match, you'd be willing to do that as well, I'm sure. Yes. When the time yeah, is right. If I don't get hit real hard, <laughs> call the police. <laughs> but that, 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 someone told me years ago, it might have even been Vince, the more, the more jobs you can do, the more valuable you are to the company. And once again, the one thing that you can't teach is experience. And you're no. you know, coming on 28 years experience, almost 30, whatever it may be. And like you mentioned, I mean, there's guys here that aren't even 30 years old. And that's where you can really kind of benefit them in that way. Yeah. And, and not only that, but people need to be reminded. Tom Brady is awesome. He's, he's a what, seven-time Seven, yeah. Super Bowl champion now. He has coaches. <laughs> Tom, you 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 missed this. The time you did. Everybody need to be mm-hmm. coached up. Everybody, even the greatest guys. That's right. And when you stop learning from man, these young guys, they they teaching me stuff. Yeah. Like there's some moves and stuff and some holes that I've seen people do since I've been here. I never saw before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, what is that called? And now you're here. Uh, you 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 hear Jim Ross sometimes say something, and you hear Excalibur say, "This is a super sada super soul," and I'll go, "That's not what that's called." <laughs> you know, it just you have just fun with you. Yeah. Just made that up, and and that's the beauty of the business. Like you can name something that's never been done before. My my finish, World Strongest Slam, was an accident. Mm. I was trying to scoop somebody up over my shoulder, and they was too heavy and pulled their legs back, and I caught them like this and slammed them in the you crowd. Went, oh! And I went, oh, oh I'm yeah. doing that again. And that was it. So, like, you can have accidents that become stuff that's, um, that's iconic, and they need to work toward what it takes to wrestle at an iconic level. Otherwise, they're going to be the middle of the road guy. You you kind of got to be overly ambitious. Yeah, you don't want to aspire to be that. Yeah, right? like you you got to really work hard and and prove that you can do that safely and and efficiently at a high level for every night. And mm-hmm. when you go out there, the crowd changes and they become, you know, the instruments that you're conducting. Mm-hmm. And I I started to do that later on in my career to be able to walk out. I could just put my hand out like this and the crowd would ah, and then I can go stop and they would stop and I could do that all sides of the ring and then tell everybody to run to get together like I I was conducting and that's what elite wrestlers usually don't get until you're older Mm -hmm. and uh so I mean it's you know I'm I'm excited man I, I I realize that now my when when I do decide to come back in the ring, I want to look exactly like I used to look. Of course, I'll be 100 pounds lighter, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, I'll still do the same stuff. Right. It's just that I, I want to make sure that I can still do it at that level or I can't do it. Yeah. Because I, I, I've taken a, a three old man segmented bump. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Now let's talk about the differences that you see between AW and WWE and, and also, too, I want to talk about the first night you came in. This was at the, at the pay-per-view when, and I actually talked to everybody afterwards, people were going over incessantly, and the whole show was running, behi- uh, running behind. 
and we had a 30-minute stadium stampede that was taped and 10 minutes or so of live that we had to have. And I was sitting here like nobody was going home on time. It was just over and over and over. And the one guy who was cool enough and, and kind of sacrificed your promo first night in, you got to come out, wave, and then you had to go back because we had no time. And, and the five minutes that you gave us saved the day. How did you feel about that first night? Because I was like, I even said, I, I apologize to you on behalf of the right. roster because I was embarrassed that here's our new guy who comes in from this crazy WWE to the new world and you still get cut and your first time. time gets cut. <laughs> but you know what? I, I never had an ego like that. Yeah. Like that. I've never been that dude. Um, my thing was um, what's good for the brand is good for me. Right. And I didn't have to address the talent you did and i appreciate you doing that and you did it with class uh tony was pissed and came in at the end and was like it's bullshit somebody you do it again and there are going to be consequences and i was like he ran across the concourse to be involved oh yeah he he was he ran i was like oh snap and but you know what like um it's important to know your role and to be giving of the brothers behind you because I mean I was never like notorious for going long because I would usually get tired after about 15 minutes and want to go home anyway right but there's some guys that's just they just got to get all the shit in and sometimes if it it takes another four minutes and they got to take that out of somebody else's match they they don't care but they need to mm. and if if anything you should be able to go, bro, you think that, you know, like we can get like two minutes because I really want to put this over and yada, yada, yada. Just just be straight up mm-hmm. and find out. Go and find out if you if you can get more time. Somebody else might be injured or hung over or whatever. Yeah. Like they might want to give you that two minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want people to be cognizant of – there are other people beyond their nose right. that's important. And but as far as me getting bent out of shape, like, man, I, I'm Well, it was it was cool. It was cool. I, I appreciate y'all, you know, being relaxed like that and, and being, you know, saying, Hey man, we we don't we don't mean for it to be that way. So What do you what do you notice difference wise between AW backstage and WWE backstage? Pressure, like, you know, you don't have to walk around on eggshells. You know, like, if you have a problem with somebody, you, it's okay to go tell them that you got a problem with them and nobody's going to try to smile in your face and knife in the back. And not saying that that always happened, but, you know, there's some micromanaging and stuff that don't exist here. That And I understand why the WWE does it the way that they do it, but... Some some stuff is just not called for. You can get by better on communication than intimidation. Mm-hmm. So that that would be one thing. How about like the you mentioned Darby and you mentioned uh, uh, Dante? Are there some other acts that you're seeing? Like like during the show, are you watching the show in the back? Are I watch you, everything. I watch yeah. the whole show. You, I told you, I want to be good. So when the new show starts. I'm going to be doing some analyst, and I was going. To, I'm going to be an analyst. Analyst, oh, gotcha. And 
And when you analyze wrestling, sometimes that means I'm, I might be in the back doing mm-hmm. a sports center like mm-hmm. deal. And That's sometimes cool. I'll be at the announce table calling the matches. And I wanted to have more experience calling the matches. So I was like, hey, can we set up some practices where I go in the truck and I just call the shows, you know, and I did it with Tony Schiavone. And like, I know what I know that I could do it, it first off. And um, some of it is hustling bullshit. I got a lot of hustling bullshit in me. Uh, I've never been shy. I never met a moment that I wasn't ready for. <laughs> and if I failed, I failed going a thousand miles an hour. Right. And that's the way that I was always taught. And I think that that's going to be a big plus uh, when we do go to TBS because people will get to see me in a different light. And that's all I really ever wanted is mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. not to be pinholed or pigeonholed into this is what he is. Like, I'm, I'm going to get to well, what, show everybody all the stuff I could do. And what I didn't like, and it's one of those things, too, like having you here and having show here, and I use those examples because you guys came in within months of each other, is it adds, even if you're not in the ring, just having show on commentary, having show's face, you know, on a poster or at a meeting, same with you, with Mark Henry. We can send you to freaking India to do a TV deal or whatever it may be. It, all, of the, all of that adds to the perception uh, of, of our company just kind of expanding and growing because you have been completely WWE your whole career. You are synonymous. 25 with, years. With, and I had so many people, oh my gosh, Mark Henry's with you guys now? The big show's with you guys now? And it's not like we're parading you in the ring like other companies. Have. We're using you as it almost, like you said, Analysts, executives, consultants, recruiters. That that's that's just smart on Tony Khan's part. Yeah. And it really benefits us to have it's, it's good here. business actually. Yes. And and that was that was the thing that I wanted to be identified with with gray hair in my face is I'm not just another talent that's in the ring working, which that's a special, unbelievably awesome gig. Right. But when you get older, you want to show people that you can think, that you know things that's going to help benefit a situation and to be able to interject that. And I can call Tony on his phone right now and say, Tony, um, I wanted to just bring this to your attention. Um, like too many people are doing super kicks. The young bucks do super kicks. Like, can can we curtail that a little bit so that it's more impactful when they do it yeah mark okay just put it on the board tell tell everybody tell the guys i can do it yeah and that's that's what the business needs to survive on on any front and any company you need somebody that's willing to be the heater mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i'm willing to be the heater because the people respect me and i realize they respect when i talk yeah like i'm not trying to offend you but maybe you need to get some new gear because this looks a little worn. Yeah. Is something wrong with that? Not at all. No, I'm and, trying to make you look and good, also, and I'm trying to make business and that's what respect. that's what I've been doing for the last year, and it's good to have some other guys that have that respect level to be able to do that. And that's something that we do here, and, and once again, we don't even have to get into this, but I hated like when WWE, the last time I saw you on TV with, with Randy backstage, and then you had, I guess you had an injury where you were on the scooter, and... It's just demeaning you, demeaning show, demeaning this guy. Like our legends, veterans, we treat everybody with respect here. You got Jake the Snake Roberts on there. He's contributing or, or, or 
Arn Anderson or Tully. No one's saying, hey, Tully, you old bastard, get the hell out of here before I beat no, you up. And that's, the, that. and that's the WWE style of treating Hall of Famers and veterans like that. And it's nobody wants to see. I don't want to go see Wayne Gretzky come out on the ice at the Stanley Cup and see someone take a slap shot at his head and say, get the hell out of here, Gretzky. Like, that's that just makes you feel like this sucks, well, you know? Why, the, why would why you do would that? But you know what? Like, rather than me think about what was, I try my best every yes. day to think what is and how I can have an impact. And you know who I want to make a, um, an example out of? It's Sonny Kiss. I was like, Sonny, you can be the best man and the best woman at the same time, mm-hmm. but you don't have to play the role of docile. If one of these dudes hits you, you need to fire up on them at, to where the wrestling world goes, oh, shit, what happened to Sonny? Mm-hmm. Like, it's more of a mentality thing. And some people don't even know that they can do that. Yeah. Has to find that gear. Right. You got to have that that change of gear, but you have to be taught that it's there. Yeah. If you need it. You have to find it. And and, uh, that's that's, that's kind of stuff that I keep singling out. I'm pointing out people. And I I see the girl. Man, Rio, she's just like so good. I want to see people beat her just so she can make a comeback. (laughs) Oh my gosh, she starts making a comeback and she gets the people every time. And, she, and once again, she didn't even speak English. This is without promos. This is just with her work style. Just with her work. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I mean, I have people that I can call and translate messages for me. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I want her to really understand what I'm saying, I would do that just to tell her, hey, work on your English. We, even, if, even if it's not great English, I want the the people at AEW, the fans here in America, to be able to hear you say, I love AEW, and I will die for AEW. Mm-hmm. Very simple, very short, but impactful what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what baby faces need. You need the love and the compassion of the people that watch you. And if she could just do that on her work rate, then what is she going to be able to do in a year right. or two? Right. As we start to wind down here, so I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Busted Open, and you're, you're always a great interview because you understand being in front of a microphone and you don't want dead air and how to tell a good story. How did you end up becoming one of the hosts of Busted Open, and how have you been enjoying it? Because it's been a couple years now. Three years. Three years, uh, yeah. Man, I, I was a, a communications major. I wanted to be Mark Henry late night with a quiet <laughs> storm. We're going to play slow jams, and we're going to make love all night long. I wanted to be the radio host guy. Right, right, right. And I remember I met Dave LaGreca at WrestleMania, and I was telling him that. And he was like, man, that's great. He was like, oh, my God, man, I didn't know you you wanted to do radio. I said, yeah, man, from a little kid, man, there was a guy in Houston named R.P. Cola that used to do the Quiet Storm in Houston on 97.9. And I was like, that's who I'm going to be. <laughs> and he was like, well, man, you, you, should, you should really think about doing sports because when we talk sports, I always come away from it knowing something I didn't know. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, man, I, I might have to think about that. And as it got to the point to where I was retiring in the Hall of Fame, Dave came to Houston to WrestleMania again or to New Orleans and um, – I told him, I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I better I better get some practice because I'm always trying to go get some practice. I don't want to be embarrassed mm. because I am prideful. Mm-hmm. And 
I went to New York and did a couple of uh, rehearsal hostings, and he was like, Mark, you could do this. And, man, probably within three months, I got hired by Sirius. Oh, that's great. So you do it three times a week? Yeah. And Bully does it three times a week? You yeah. kind of switch back and forth? So what and Tommy been, does it two Tommy times a week. So, so what have been some of, who have been some of your favorite interviews? Because I'll say this before you answer. It's not easy to be an interviewer. And there's, that's why there's so many podcasts and a lot, most of them fall by the wayside because it's not easy to be a good interviewer. No, it's But you're not. one of them. So who have been some of your favorites? Steve Austin. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's so easy and, and, was, and just was really impactful. Um, a lot of people were kind of apprehensive of having Rip Rogers on because mm. Rip is such a loose cannon. <laughs> he's old school. And <laughs> Rip came in and did an interview with us and broke the world record for saying the F word uh, 114 times. Oh, for real? And a 30-minute interview. And um, that was that was pretty cool. But you know what, man? Like, uh, Mickey James, you know, having her on, you know, and pushing the women's movement in pro wrestling. And all of the women that we've had on uh, over the last, you know, year, year and a half, especially since COVID, um, has been like an inspiration to women's wrestling all over the world. And I feel like we're the conduit to explaining what's going on at AEW and WWE and New Japan and ROH and Impact and MLW, you name somebody, we have to report that news. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I want to address everybody at some point, maybe in the uh, um, near future, and let them know. Don't, don't feel like because I said that NXT was a better show this week than AEW, that NXT is better than AEW. That was the weekly thing. You need to have enough damn respect and passion and guile to next week go, oh, yeah, Mark Henry? Well, how about this? Mm -hmm. And this Saturday show, from start to finish, was without peer. I mean, starting with Hobbs and Paige, and you go all the way to the end and see Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy live. I mean, just what a show. And that's that's what I'm saying. Build up that that pride mm -hmm. to say I want to have a good show, and uh, that's what I feel like has been the best is we push the envelope of competition to the wrestlers without it being about the companies they work for. Given the given the individual spots, and to have a guy come and go, hey man, I appreciate you acknowledging what I did. Because sometimes we don't get the, I told you, the pass on the back is special in this business. Mm -hmm. It means the, so much. Man, like the uh, the first time that I had it was Ricky Steamboat. Mm -hmm. You know how much I love Ricky mm -hmm. Steamboat. I, I mean, we just started this off. Right. All I wanted to do Full was circle. a Ricky Steamboat arm drag. When I left Louisville and I went to the Pillman show and me and Hugh Morris had that match and we were sitting on the floor like, damn, that was good, man. That was better than I thought. And Ricky Steamboat walked by and he said, hey, guys, hell of a match. 
It's good to see that psychology still exists in our business. Wow. He said our. <laughs> like, shit, I'm a part of the team. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it get when you get that attaboy, that pat on the butt, that uh, confirmation, it does something to you in wrestling. It's, it's power up. Like, you get to really understand what it is that the business is about. And that's why I'm here, man. Like, I'm going to pat some people on the butt, but I'm also going to put my arm around their neck and say, hey, that was bullshit. Mm. Like, that was lazy. Or, have you ever done that before? If you haven't done it before, don't do it in the ring. Especially on TV, you're going to get the tough and you're going to get the good. Mm -hmm. So... You need somebody that's willing to do that and be able to accept what comes with that. I'm going to hug their neck. I'm not a browbeater because I know how I am. I don't like it when people browbeat me. Right. I, I want to encourage and I want people to want to study and get better. Can you know something? Tell me, tell me something you learned from last week. Me? No, not oh, you. Sure. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. the way that, I got I, you. That's sure, the way sure, that sure. I'm going to be talking to everybody. I want them to give that's me just something. a good coach. That's a good coach. So yeah. You need that, you know. Um, last question for you. In all the matches that you had, which is the one that stands out as your favorite? WrestleMania 22 with Undertaker Gosh. is way up there. I mean, anytime you get in a main event at WrestleMania, you made it. And Was that Hall of Fame, Mark Henry, against Undertaker? That was right before. Ah, okay. That was right before. That was when I got it. And I got you, but you you had already switched. I had already yeah. switched, and um, winning the world championship with Randy and Hell in the Cell, I still thank Randy all the time mm-hmm. because Randy was on fire at that moment, and I came in and it was like it was shocking to the world that it happened, mm-hmm. and especially the way that it happened. And I, I I just, you know, man, like I, you appreciate it. I'm really appreciative of the people that have, me and Daniel Bryan and Big Show and, you know, Ric Flair. Like I had some, man, I, I still told a friend of mine about this, about me and Ric Flair matching the gym the other day. <laughs> I was like, Rick chopped me 10 times. And then I headbutted him five times. He <laughs> fell over, rolled out. I picked him up to throw him into the uh, into the post. He wiggled behind, pushed me into the post. We got back in and went into a championship sequence where I always call it Ric Flair's championship sequence where he starts taking all his stuff off like he's going. And I was like, man, I experienced that. Yeah, I had a match with Ric Flair, man. He <laughs> chopped me like a, like a mark, like a fan. Mm-hmm. And... I'm going to take that to the grave with me. Like, you know, being in a ring with people like him and what I learned in that process, like, it's, it's like, man, golly, anybody that's anybody over the last 20 years I had a match with, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I was a little bit aggravated, you know, just to be honest and, you know, to be candid. Um, we got the same shoes, by the way. <laughs> um, you did your favorite matches. And me and MVP were powerballing, and we had a match with Jericho, and we ain't getting no love. <laughs> I'm sensitive, Chris. 
I'm sensitive. I'll You're going to get, I'm, I want to be the first guy to come up to you and say, hey, why wasn't I on the top 100? <laughs> when I do the paperback version and I add some extra appendixes, <laughs> I'll put you in there for sure. 102? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I won't yeah, you, be 101. You, were, I, you almost made it. You almost made it, man. <laughs> Dude, it's been great talking oh, to you, and it's great to have you here. And I'm, I'm excited to, to see my old friend, and we can have some more good times together. Yeah, man. And we gotta get, we gotta talk about these boys wrestling, man. Oh, I know. We will. Like, I, I can't. I want to see her support everybody's kids and everything. Like, if we're gonna be a big old family, big old happy family, we gotta do that. That's that's like something that we really need to do.